Welcome to Reentry Stories, a new podcast from WYSO. I'm Mary Evans. For the next five weeks, you'll hear conversations between people who were once in prison. When we return to the community, we often have trouble finding jobs, housing, education, and mental health services. Every year in Ohio, more than 22,000 people are released from prison, 1,500 in Montgomery County alone. I was formerly incarcerated at Dayton Correctional, where I took part in Sinclair Community College's Advanced Job Training Program, designed to prepare people for reentry. Once released, I enrolled at Antioch College, and I also got involved with the X Factor Initiative, part of the Dayton Collaboratory, which helps returning citizens get job and life skills and helps them find peer mentors. All the people in our series have taken part in either the Sinclair Prison Training Project or the X Factor Initiative. Today we meet Sharika Gibson, who went through the Sinclair program, and Marsha Weber, part of the X Factor Initiative. Both of them had professional careers and family before they were incarcerated, and now they want to reclaim some of their old lives. We'll just describe a little bit about your life before incarceration. I was a career mom. I was a psychologist. I had a full-time job. I worked and pretty much I came home. I had a teenager at that time, so I was doing sporting events, family activities. You know, I would go to dinner with friends now and then. Sort of what in my head I pictured a stereotypical career mom. What about you? How what was your life like before? I could probably quote you and then that would be it would be exactly the same. I was definitely a career mom. I was a high school science teacher. Um, my children played basketball, and so I was a big basketball mom, recorded every single game. I loved my career. I did well at it. I earned Teacher of the Year consecutive years at different organizations, and so that was proud moments for me. So when you mentioned that when you were released and you were driving to the halfway house that you were crying uncontrollably, can you remember why? When I was arrested, I went to county jail. I never went home, so I spent a whole year in county jail. And in that full year, I the only outside that I could experience was this little brick courtyard with a fence roof. And nature is very important to me. So I spent a year like that with no access to nature. And then I did six months in a federal camp where I could actually walk outside. But of course, I was still incarcerated. And for me, being incarcerated, I had so much grief, so much guilt, shame, just loss of connection with my family and my children. And I was terrified. You know, you're not supposed to cry in prison. It makes you vulnerable. And being vulnerable in prison is not necessarily good. So I think part of what happened on that day was this huge dump of emotion that I had been not really successfully holding in check, but trying to hold in check. And then also it was like one deep breath because then I was going back in where I was sort of halfway free, but not really. And that was actually in some ways more terrifying than prison because there were all men there, no women when I got there. And some of the men were actively selling drugs from the halfway house. Many of them are already back in prison. That day was just this like relief and then terror sort of all wound into one experience. You know, when I got released, I had a different feeling and a different experience. And so I was trying to understand your point of view and your perspective. And it is different for everyone. But that is something new to me because I was so happy to get out. 
I was ready to go. And I knew I had all of these plans to go home to my husband, my children, my home, my vehicle. All of the functional pieces were there. And being released, I knew they were there. What I didn't know was there was the grief that was waiting for me. I was so joyful. However, less than a week, I cried every night and I could not understand why. I could not articulate why am I crying so much when I'm at this place that I've been wanting to be back to my home, my family, my everything. I did seek help and I went to a psychologist and she told me that the reason that I was probably crying so much is because I was grieving for the life that I once had. I find it all very intertwined, life before and life during and life after. For a while, I even talked about it as my former life. Being inside was like this huge pause button or purgatory or treading water in a hurricane or like pick your metaphor, but it was everything was on hold. When I first came home and I was trying to find a job and having that interview experience, I especially love the interviews where they ask out loud if you have a felony and then they want to hear the story and then they still turn you down. And so then I felt like, why are you asking me the story if it doesn't matter? Why do I have to go through the details of my poor decisions and the consequences of that if the end result is you're going to tell me I can't have the job anyway, if you still won't see me as a person? And so in that phase... I felt like I was still in a bad dream and I couldn't wake up. That uh, re-entry feeling is real, isn't it? Everything you do, you question three times over. What I learned about myself is the person that I was before incarceration is different now. They wanted to revoke my teaching license forever, and I had to go fight for that. With the Ohio Department of Education, with no lawyer, the detective that helped prosecute me vouched for me. And if I can name call here, I'll never forget the help that Detective Farkas gave me. Not only did he treat me like a person, even when I'm in the middle of court dealing with all these things, and I think he treated me well because of my attitude, because of my forthcoming about my wrongdoing. He saw me as the person that I was. One of the questions that I asked him was, if you walked into a classroom and you saw me standing there as the teacher for your child, knowing my background and knowing what you know of me, would you be okay with me teaching your child? And his answer was, I have thought about this a lot and knowing you, And knowing the way you handle your situation, I will be more than happy to have you as the teacher of my child. They decided to grant me my licensure back. If you could say one thing that you want people to take from this, from hearing us speak, would you want to speak to an ex-offender or a criminal justice professional or both? I think if I had to pick one audience right now today, it would be neither of those people. It would be my neighbor in suburbia or my professional colleague who believes that she doesn't know any felons. One small choice or one sequence of events, anyone could be behind bars. It's not to say that I didn't do stupid things. I did stupid things. And yet that is not the sum total of my existence. That is not the entire story of my life. I want people to understand that while some of the experiences being inside are a direct result of my own actions, 
the experiences in the continued barriers now are a result of how society has constructed endless penalties. One of the things that helped me is having that education because it it put me in a place to be able to jump a couple hoops faster than I would have than without. I was able to get a job that actually used my degrees with being the math and science academic coordinator at Sinclair. And I definitely attribute that to having an education. Certainly having an education brings with it a variety of skills. Having had a professional career brings with it additional skills that aren't there if your previous career had been working in a factory, for instance. I am adept at various computer programs, not in terms of an IT person, but in terms of I could do data entry if that were all that was available to me. I could be a receptionist or a secretary or any of those things because I have those other skills that came along with my education. I got the job that I currently have because of my education. The other side of that coin is that if you look at the database of all of the corollary consequences of having had a felony, many of those are related to licensure and certification and all of those things that are the next step after education. In a field such as mine, having the education only gets you so far, you have to have the license to go with it to be able to provide the services, to be able to provide treatment, to be able to work with clients, etc. You have to have a license to do that. The education is a step towards the license. In some moments, I think that the whole system doesn't see itself globally. And what I mean by that is inside, it seems like the mantra is get them all an education, then they won't be felons anymore. And yet outside, that is inconsistent. Because when you go to the reentry office or when you try to find jobs that are felon friendly, the vast majority of those jobs are factories and warehouses. And again, it's not that it's not possible. You and I both did get connected to something that was more professional. It is more difficult and there are more barriers. And so there's that internal inconsistency within the system that I don't think people see. I just hope that we can start to have more people in our network, such as judges and probation officers and our neighbors that feel like they don't know a felon when actually they do, that we can just have more people to understand how difficult it is and to remember to see us. I see you, Marsha. And I feel that you do. I appreciate that. And I see you. That was Returned Citizens Marsha Weber and Sharika Gibson. I am Mary Evans, producer of Reentry Stories. This series is a collaboration between WYSO, Sinclair Community College, and the Dayton Collaboratory. Funding support comes from Sinclair and the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. To hear more reentry stories, subscribe to our podcast at WYSO.org or your favorite podcast app.